Dan Quinn found his guy. Cliff Kingsbury is the new OC of the Washington Commanders. Amber and Ian presented to you by Progressive Insurance. Amber Wilson, Ian Fitzsimmons hanging out with you at Ian Fitz ESPN. That's how you find him at Amber W Sports is how you find me. So Cliff Kingsbury has been hired by the Commanders and a lot of people are connecting the tea leaves, Ian, because Kingsbury just spent a season at USC as an advisor. He's pretty close to a quarterback from USC named Caleb Williams. Caleb Williams is expected to be the number one overall pick in this year's draft. Now, Washington does not have the number one overall pick. A team named the Chicago Bears does. But would Chicago be willing to give up that pick? Is there a world in which Washington could move up? Could Caleb Williams pull a John Elway or an Eli Manning and try to make it clear that Chicago is not his preferred destination, that he wants to follow Cliff Kingsbury? And is this why, Ian, that Kingsbury is in Washington? I don't think it, it is. that is the number one reason why. The connection it may be part of it. But Kingsbury, when he's a coordinator and not a head coach, Dude, he can dial up an offense, man. Go back to his days at Texas A&M with Johnny Manziel, turn him into a Heisman winner. You know, you, you look at you know, Texas Tech, his, his offenses when he was there for five years as the head coach, not just, not just a play caller, but a head coach, teams stunk. You know, I mean, they were below 500. But offensively, they were in the top 10 in passing yards every single year. They're in the top 18 in yards per game every single year. And every single year, they averaged over 30 points per game. Why didn't they win more games? Couldn't stop you and me. Their defense stunk. They'd, get, they'd score 55 and give up 60. Right? So, on, on that side of the ball, he just didn't get it. But when it comes to, to, to dialing up plays in an offense, man, he, he's right there with anybody. And the relationship with Caleb, is that part of it? I mean, I don't know. Uh, probably. I know I know this. If I'm Caleb Williams, I know where I want to go. Did you see his tweet after Kingsbury was hired in Washington? He said, that's my guy or something Congrats, like my that. dog. Yeah. yeah. I mean, they are very, very close. And the last time I had USC with Mark Kestisher and Kelly Stauffer, we had them twice this year, both losses. Uh, Utah beat him on a last-second field goal as time expired, and then Washington took care of him. And the the second time we were there, I asked Cliff, what is it about Caleb Williams that is the biggest misconception about this young man? And he said that he's all about the guy in the mirror, and that could not be further from the truth. The dude wants to win for anybody around him. And then, we, you know, we saw that picture after the Utah game of Caleb Williams sitting by himself on the bench, and everyone was talking about how, oh, he's upset that he lost. No, I was standing right there. Caleb Williams was up and cheering his defense on after he gave his team the lead. And his defense, again, gave up the honey, right, in that game-winning drive by the pig-farming quarterback from, from the Utah Hutes. And after that kick went through the uprights, that's when he went and sat on the bench. He wants to win for everybody around him. The last guy he cares about winning for is a dude in the mirror. So when it comes to Caleb Williams, the person, the player, he's got every skill set. Every NFL scout I talked to getting ready for those two games, Amber, they invoked the name Andrew Luck as far as a skill set. His work ethic is as great as anybody that I, I've, I've, I've heard about, talked to, talked about. So would he is it smart as a, a, another little check mark relationship with the best player available in the draft? Check. It's there. 
So as an offensive play caller and the connection to Caleb Williams, yeah, I mean, that's definitely part of it. But they don't have the number one overall pick, and Caleb Williams probably will be the number one overall pick. What are you willing to give up to Chicago to make them either keep Justin Fields or make a trade with you, and then they take Drake May? Because to me, I'm starting with three ones and three twos. That's a starting point if I'm Chicago. Well, and you invoking the name Drake May, I also could see a world in which the commanders are thinking, hey, Caleb Williams isn't our only option here to have a high-flying offense with Cliff Kingsbury at the helm. So maybe they, too, are interested in quarterbacks beyond just this relationship that Kingsbury has with Caleb Williams. But that relationship obviously does exist, and so now people are going to window. And Caleb also is from Washington, D.C., so people are going to wonder, does he want to go back home? Does he want to play for his guy, his dog, that he called him in the tweet, in Cliff Kingsbury, is he going to try to force his way onto the team that he wants to be? I do feel like we have these conversations every time we have one of these guys come up. I remember that conversation being so loud around Joe Burrow, and it just wasn't at all true. It was not reality. But every few years, I feel like there's one of these quarterbacks that comes out of the draft, they're supposed to be a can't-miss prospect, and people suggest that they're going to pull an Eli Manning. When in reality... Nobody really does that other than Eli Manning and John Elway, right? Most people do not do that because the reality is you want to be the number one overall pick. Lincoln Riley was on Pat McAfee today, Caleb Williams coach, and he said that Caleb Williams does in fact want to be the number one overall pick because of course, who wouldn't? He's got some pride. He also said that Caleb would not refuse to play for a certain team. Here's Lincoln Riley. Yeah, I think it's a total smoke screen. I mean, I think it's people playing the game. Um, I, like knowing Caleb, like location-wise, I don't think he cares one bit about where he's at. Like all of these, all of these franchises are in really good cities. Like really, there's advantages to anywhere that you could go. He wants to win. Uh, he wants to be a guy that's playing in this game that's getting ready to come up this week. And 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 I think for him, it's less about location and it's just more about getting in the right situation where he knows he can continue to develop and do the things that he needs to do to help a franchise be successful. And that's it. And he's got a one-track mind that way. So, uh, no, I, I don't think there's any truth to that at all. The guy wants to win. He's a competitor. Certainly, I know he would love to go first overall. I mean, as any competitor, who wouldn't? Uh, but at the end of the day, it's about winning for him and nothing else. Amen. And that's the same thing that Kingsbury told me, and you're going to hear it time and time again. And you're also going to hear this, Amber. There's going to be a lot of negative – talk about Caleb Williams, and we see it every single year. You mentioned Joe Burrow. You know, he doesn't want to go play for Cincinnati. The dude grew up like 200 miles from Cincinnati. He's an Ohio guy. How about Caleb Williams going home? That was the biggest smokescreen thrown out there by anybody not associated with the Joe Burrow camp. Other teams will put stuff out there and leak certain things trying to get the guy to drop to them. So you're going to hear a lot of negative things about Caleb Williams, and 99.99% of them are not going to be true. But Kingsbury to the commanders, that makes it very intriguing as to what Washington – because you know damn good and well, Kingsbury, one of the first things that Dan Quinn and the front office for Washington are asking Cliff, all right, how good is he? Can't miss. He's going to invoke the name Andrew Luck. All right, what are we giving up to go get him? And if I'm Chicago, just to move up one spot, minimum, three ones, three twos. And then if they were to do that, what do you do with Justin Fields? Atlanta needs a quarterback. He's from Georgia. 
right? Would you trade Justin Fields and just take Drake May and reset the clock? There's a lot going on here. I mean, and it's, a, it's going to be talked about nonstop starting now, after the Super Bowl is played on Sunday, all the way up until draft night. It's going to be a remarkable journey, and you're going to hear a lot of negative things about Caleb Williams, and I'm telling you, 99.9% of them are not going to be true. But there's a lot of layers to this onion. If Chicago doesn't trade with Washington, what do they do? Is it Drake May or Jaden Daniels? What do you do with Justin Fields? Where, where do you move him? If you're Washington, would you want him? You know, or do you say or Atlanta? Do you want him? He holds the ball too long. Is that is he, are you able to coach that out of him? There are so many different layers to this thing. It's going to be fascinating to see how they all fall. Three ones and three twos to move up one spot. One if spot. I'm Chicago, which I think is is outrageous, but if I'm Chicago. I would take that in a heartbeat. I wouldn't even have to think twice about that. But for me, there if is I'm Washington, no I'm not doing it. If I'm Washington, three ones and three twos, are you crazy? Yeah. If I'm That's Washington, I'm, not, I'm not giving that up for anybody, though. And I also don't believe in the concept of a can't-miss prospect because all the, they still miss. <laughs> I mean, yeah. You've still got a 50% hit rate. We still have seen them miss in the National Football League. And as important as it is to have a quarterback, it's also important, obviously, to have some other positions as well. So if you could get an entire haul if you're Chicago, I would take that gamble on passing on Caleb Williams, take the entire haul, and move back a spot and take a Drake May or what any Jaden Daniels or any of these other guys if you want to move on from Justin Fields, which we don't even really know if Chicago wants to do that. So a lot to unpack Amen. here. But what we do know is that Eric Bieniemy is out in Washington. Cliff Kingsbury is in. Coming up next here on Amber and Ian, what's next for the 76ers? Would Joel Embiid out for a while? We'll get into that here on ESPN Radio. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Joel Embiid will undergo a procedure to repair his left meniscus. They will find out if they can repair the meniscus or have to remove part of it. He could potentially be looking at six, eight weeks, or he could be looking at the end of the season. If you can find yourself in the playoffs and a rusty but healthy Embiid comes back, oh, I think they could still make it interesting. Championship windows can close really, really quickly if you're not careful, especially dealing with another obstacle to Joel Embiid in Philadelphia trying to make sure that doesn't happen again. Joel Embiid has a displaced flap, which is considered to be a type of tear of the meniscus. Ugh. 
He's going to have surgery. Obviously, terrible news for the Philadelphia 76ers. Bad news for Joel Embiid. He was the best player in the league this season so far, averaging over 35 points per game, over 11 boards, almost six assists, almost two blocks in 34 games while shooting 53.3% from the floor and 36.6% from deep. He has been absolutely phenomenal this season, and he's been playing at an MVP level. Now, he's not going to be eligible for that award because you've got to play in 65 games, and he's going to miss an extended period of time. What does this mean for Philadelphia as we approach the trade deadline? Here's Brian Windhorse, ESPN Senior NBA Insider on First Take. I would almost argue that what happens from this Embiid surgery could be one of the most important things in this trade deadline week. And that's because the Sixers are a team that have a lot of options. They have three tradable first-round picks. They have over $100 million in expiring contracts. And they have a belief that they, with Joel Embiid healthy, that they can compete. They would be an underdog against, um, against Boston right now. But Milwaukee is fading. So I would just say that, like, depending on how this comes out of the surgery, does Philly make you know try to go to acquire a center who can be a stopgap fill-in or do they sit on their salary cap space because the Sixers if they wanted to could just sort of stand pat try to play out the season do the best they can then they'd have over 50 million dollars in cap space to go into the market this summer and improve to be ready for an Embiid return but if they feel like he could come back they could make stopgap moves where they could hold maybe their seat a little bit higher than that six could maybe get in that top four so when he comes back they got a better chance. Right now, they're sitting at fifth in the East at 30 and 18. Obviously, maintaining that position, though, in a top five without Joel Embiid ain't going to be easy, Ian. No, and, and like, they, they, they've got talent. I mean, Maxi Harris, probably two underrated guys as well. Uh, but with Embiid, it, it's, it's a whole, totally different team. We all know that. That's the biggest understatement anybody can make, whether you're sitting on, on radio or at a bar. I mean, you know, Embiid is one of the best players in the world. The problem is he can't stay healthy. Right. I mean, the moment he came out of Kansas, you know, first two years, missed them. And that, that was part of the, remember, the process, right? Yeah, and part tanking, of that was because they were tanking. Right. I mean, <laughs> but it was which also ended up, by the way, working out for him because they've made some deep runs. But then all of a sudden you go back to last year where, you know, you're a second round out. And the year before that with Doc, you're a second round out. But he's a remarkable talent, a unique talent that can't find a way to put back-to-back years together to truly stay healthy. And, and I, I feel for him because he's also one of my favorite players in the league because he doesn't give a damn. He will say there is no censor from brain to mouth. He is going to tell you exactly how he feels about you, your family, your dog, you know, your coach, your city. He doesn't care. And, and I love that about him. So, I, And if I'm the Sixers right now, the team docs – how long he's out is going to tell you everything about the severity of, of this injury, meaning if he can come back toward the end of the year and they still hold him out, that means that they aren't confident, the docs aren't confident, even though he could be cleared to play, quote, end quote, that he will not be able to remain healthy. And we're going to go on the long play here and use that, as Wendy was talking about, use that salary cap space and get ready for next season. If you do see him come back toward the end of this year, the team docs are saying, you know what, it's sound, the meniscus is good, the knee is good, and Embiid is ready to come back. If you see him back in, that, that tells you they believe they truly can make a run in the East. That's going to tell you everything about the state of the 76ers.
Joel Embiid has played something like 50% of his games, roughly. In yeah, I think it's like 53 or something. Yeah, his it's right career. There. Yeah, just over 50%, uh, which obviously is remarkably low. Now, given that does include the two full seasons that he sat out, so a little bit skewed. But still, he has missed that much time in his NBA career where the 76ers have only gotten half of him, half of the time, essentially. And it's because health is a factor. Health has always been a factor for this player. It's the hard part about Joel Embiid being your number one and Joel Embiid being the dude who you rely on in order to be able to win these championships because realistically he may not be a player who can stay healthy enough for an entire season and an entire postseason for him to have to carry that kind of load even though he is that level of great now this is one of those freak injuries and I hated the conversation this past week from LeBron and Draymond and others about how it's so awful that Joel Embiid was out there playing basketball and doing his job because he was clearly injured when the truth of it was that Kaminga fell on his leg. I mean, he fell on it. It's the whole reason that Joel Embiid ends up in this situation because it was a contact injury that could happen at any time in a contact sport. So, was it like Joel Embiid aggravated something? Like, it wasn't like a ticky-tack injury. He wasn't out there by himself and stepped wrong, and, you know, maybe he would have been fine had he not yeah, been the, the, injured. The previous time, contact injury. Yeah, the previous time, correct me if I'm wrong here, Amber, but he had like the flu the last time he missed, you know, three or four games. It, it wasn't well, a knee. Been, it wasn't, you know, a been foot. Dealing- He'd been dealing with this left knee. He did have a brace yeah. on the left knee. And so that's why people, because he had left knee soreness. It's also, it was a you know, bone left bruise, knee soreness, air quotes, why he didn't play Jokic. I mean, he hasn't played Jokic in Denver since 2019. Uh, it's just remarkable every time he's there how something, some ailment acts up. Joel Embiid is one of these players who it seems like there's some load management in addition to, obviously, the injuries. But there was a lot of criticism this past week from players of Joel Embiid being out there because he's trying to compete for an MVP and there's this Uh, rule that players think is dumb that you had to play in 65 games to get the MVP. The reality is nobody was forcing Joel Embiid to try to win an MVP again this season. No, and nobody was forcing Joel Embiid to go out there. If a guy is hurt, especially of his stature, he's going to tell you, I ain't going. Not happening. Knee doesn't feel right. He still gets yeah, paid. It, it, yeah, and there was an illness where he sat out a couple games. So, I mean, it's been you know, the, the, the left knee soreness and then this actual injury. But if he didn't want to be out there and that knee was banged up going into that game, he could easily say, uh, I mean, look, the, the ninth guy on the bench, no, your butt's getting out there if I tell you to get out there. But a guy like Embiid or a Luka or LeBron, you know, dudes at that level, you know, a Jokic, guess what? No, I'm not feeling right tonight, Coach. Not happening. Okay. You're not even – you're going – you're looking at a guy like Embiid when he goes, man, doesn't feel right. I can't go tonight, Coach. I'm, I'm not feeling right. You know, you're, as a coach, you know what you're telling him? Okay. Head to the training room. Go see the docs right now. Like, so get me a damn golf cart out here and get this man straight to the training room as quickly as possible. And you think Embiid – these guys know their bodies so well. So if there was anything wrong, any hint of discomfort outside of a playoff game, these dudes ain't going. They're not going to play. Now, we've seen him suck it up, especially in the postseason, and play hurt. 
But there's a difference between hurt and injured. And he got injured in this game, obviously, and that's why we're going to see him out for a minimum of an extended period of time, possibly the rest of the season, depending on how it all shakes out. LeBron blamed us. LeBron blamed the media, because, of course, that's what you do, obviously. But LeBron blamed the media for putting the pressure on Joel Embiid to be out there competing for an MVP because of the 65-game rule. I I just think that the whole thing is so ridiculous when you consider that this injury was a contact injury. And there is a risk in basketball that you're going to get injured. There is always an inherent risk that somebody is going to fall on your leg on a basketball court. You can get hurt walking your doggy. You can't. I, I mean, there are no guarantees here. And what happened to Joel Embiid could happen to him anytime at any given moment. And it's a shame that it happened. It is. And it's a huge loss for Philadelphia. They have to figure out how to move forward. Honestly, with Philadelphia's situation, if I was them, I think I'd be more focused on the offseason. I don't think I'd be focused on this idea of giving away a bunch at the trade deadline to try to bring in somebody to try to hold some semblance of position in the East until Joel can make it back, unless they were damn sure that Joel could truly make it back this season and be playing at that MVP caliber level that he was just playing with. But if you're the 76ers, you obviously want to be cautious with your superstar. Coming up next here, what does Roger Goodell think about the officiating this season in the NFL? We'll hear directly from the commission. That's next here on ESPN Radio. Now, let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac, weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom! Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good! The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic Liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day. But sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. Super Bowl week. And that means that Roger Goodell is going to speak. Amber Ian presented my progressive insurance. So Roger Goodell, every Super Bowl week, gives his state of the league address where he tries to address a bunch of things about the NFL, including some of the things that might be more controversial in the NFL in any given season. Super Bowl 58, the week before, certainly no different than any other. So Roger Goodell, he was behind a microphone today. And first and foremost, what people probably most wanted to hear from the commissioner about, Ian, was officiating, because that has been controversial all season long. So let's hear from the NFL commissioner. Professional sports and all sports, officiating is part of that. I think in the NFL, the level of scrutiny is at the highest I've ever seen it. And that's part of our popularity. I understand that. It's part of the technology. You all do such a great job that you see more than you could ever see in officiating. The game is faster. I think our officials do a great job. They are superior, 
But at the end of the day, no one's perfect, uh, whether it's all of us that watches the games or play the games or coach the games or the officials. Uh, we have to continue to try to get better. We have to work, use technology where we can to try to improve uh, their performance, let them use technology to make sure they get the right answer. Uh, but I think they do an incredible job, but we're going to keep working to get better. Amber, I, I, I like the beginning part of that answer. I can't stand the back end of that answer. They had obvious missed calls this year, including replay where you're sitting on your couch and you're going, how in the ever-loving hell are you not overturning that? Or how are you, you know, saying call stands? I mean, what, what, it is beyond frustrating to see how bad it was. How many times we have Dean Blandino on this year? Four times? I mean, you know, who is the former director of officiating for the NFL, now with Fox Sports. I don't remember having Dean on that, that, that much in a season ever, but he's kind of our go-to guy. And even Dean was like, man, I've never seen it like this. So I actually, at, at the Senior Bowl, I asked one NFL GM and one current NFL head coach about officiating. And they both said it has gone downhill since the officials now have not been held accountable since Dean Blandino left. And I looked at him and went, you got to be kidding me. Because he would publicly hold these guys accountable. Now, when was the last time you heard anybody in any form or fashion of, of any kind of power in the NFL who has any kind of stroke whatsoever say anything negative about an official or a blown call, whether it was in a big game or just a throwaway game? You haven't a, in years. Right. It's just a bunch of people screaming on the internet about it. That's it. Where Blandino used to go, nope, we missed that one right there. And and we missed it. Back. He would actually call out guys by name, crews by name. You know, whether it was Steratore's crew or whatever, just throwing up a name, you know, or uh, Hockey League, right? I mean, you name it. He would actually call them out and tell you what they missed. You don't have that anymore, and they're not holding these guys accountable. Players are, coaches are, general managers are. Why aren't officials? Blandino used to. They don't anymore. And I thought it was very interesting this current GM and head coach had brought up Blandino's name. One, one brought it up. The other one, oh, yeah, he's right. And just kind of leaned into it. You know, so it, it, it is one where as a fan you're going, just hold him accountable and get it and fix it. Now, you brought this up a couple weeks ago. And I think it's interesting, and it, it's been talked about for a while, but you, you actually said it's time to make these guys full-time employees. But let me ask you this. Do you think that will ever happen? I think so, I, and I think it needs to. It doesn't make any sense that they're not, it, frankly. I mean, you're talking about a multi-billion dollar industry. Why can't they afford to have officials who – this is their main gig. It seems reasonable. And it also seems reasonable from the official perspective that if your main gig is being a lawyer or being an accountant or being a teacher or whatever that a lot of these officials are back home, then of course it's really, really difficult to keep up with everything over on the NFL side. We are talking about billions and billions and billions of dollars. And now with betting, 
We're talking about billions and billions and billions of dollars at stake in an entirely different way. And for me, it's the betting angle because, yes, the money in the NFL is one thing. Eyeballs on games are still going to happen, frankly. The sponsors are still going to be there because the fans are still going to be there, even if there's some calls that are wrong. But the betting, when you're talking about that much money changing hands and these calls being responsible for that. That's a good point. That's what's going to cause the NFL because the NFL is in bed with the betting. It benefits everybody. Everybody's making more money because of the world of betting. Obviously, look at us here at ESPN Bet, right? Everyone's embracing it. And as we head towards this world of embracing sports betting, what needs to happen then? Full-time officials who can get things right. And I want to touch on the integrity of the game when it comes to wagering in a moment because Goodell was asked that question also. With Amber Wilson, I'm Ian Fitzsimmons here on ESPN Radio. The only reason I'm going to push back on officials becoming full-time employees is because these billionaire owners, that means more money out of their pocket. And that's the number one reason why I don't believe you will ever see NFL officials become full-time employees and leave their day jobs because that means the NFL owners are going to have to come out of pocket more, and we know they don't want to come out of pocket for a nickel if they, against their bottom line, much less Hundred millions of dollars to make all these guys full-time employees. I wish they would. I think you're right as far as they should be, but these owners ain't going to do it. I mean, millions, yeah, but a, a drop in it's a drop in the hat. What I'm talking about. I mean, I'm not talking about paying these officials some exorbitant amount of money, but make it so that this can be a reasonable job. You know, whatever that means, 200k or whatever that is. So this can be a job that they can put their focus in on and that people want and that people don't have to carry some other profession on the side. And I, I think that the thing again that would swing the owners is the money that they make on the back end. Everybody sort of has to be on board for the product, the stake of the game, but again, and most importantly maybe for betting so that everybody can continue to make money hand over fist in that world as well. They're but there are complications. Grand. They're already making 200 grand a year, though, on average. Okay. Is that what they make for, oh, the, for, uh, for, for being uh, yeah. not I mean, full-time? On, so, an a, on an average NFL official so salary, it is, it is north of $200,000. I think it's around two hundred twenty grand. Okay. So pay them 350. Pay them 350. I mean, we're not talking about hand- – I guess my point is we're not talking about handing – officials millions of dollars right i mean we're talking about individually millions of dollars yes collectively obviously the price tag would be that but i'm not saying individually we need to be paying an official two million dollars a year to do this job i'm just saying that they shouldn't also have to carry another profession on the side that this should be their craft and that they should have the convenience of putting everything into that uh i i wanted to get the bite and i don't i know james James, you just switched things on my screen but i was hoping to get the bite from Roger Goodell on the integrity of the game with yeah. betting. Because since we brought up betting, I think it's important too, as we head towards a world of legalized gambling. And obviously the NFL is on board with this now, as we are here as, with ESPN bet as well. So Roger Goodell was asked about protecting the integrity of the game. Well, it's our number one objective. You know, when we're, this is true gambling and outside of gambling, right? The integrity of our game is critical. And so we spend a lot of time focusing on that. Uh, educating, uh, making sure that all of our personnel um, are aware of our gambling policies in this case or any other policy that can affect the integrity of our game. So ultimately, that's our primary job. Uh, This week coming in here, we wanted to make sure not just the two teams, but every other club 
uh, will likely have representatives here. We wanted to make sure they understood it, our league staff and everyone else, so they understood exactly what the policies were. And they all understand the importance of it. We clarified our policy earlier this year, and it was to put the importance for our players that betting on NFL games or inside information or anything that would negatively impact the integrity of our game is absolutely off limits. And they've enforced that to the nth degree, Amber. NFL players, NFL coaches, NFL trainers, team docs. If, if If you get a check at any level from the National Football League and you wager on a horse race on an NFL property or off property, or excuse me, on an NFL property, your butt is done. You're fined and suspended. Do it again, and I think you're gone. If you bet on an NFL game either on property or on your toilet, you are cooked as Christmas dinner, man. Deep fried like a turkey on Thanksgiving in Louisiana. So they they have gone to the nth degree to ensure that the integrity of the game with wagering now becoming mainstream, is truly protected. But to your point, going back to questionable calls, right, that is where with wagering becoming mainstream, I think you brought up a great point, that is where they they also have to be more transparent. Like look at the XFL, now about to be the UFL. Dean Blandino was a damn rock star last year. Why? It was transparent. You actually saw them going over the replay and explaining why it was or was not upheld, why it was or was not overturned. I don't. I think we asked Blandino this last time he was on with us, and he said he doesn't understand why the NFL command center doesn't do that very thing. Be transparent with every aspect of it. And I think he brought up a great point there as far as the integrity when it comes to wagering and officiating, when it comes to that, those two going hand in hand. Integrity of the game has obviously always been important, but in a world of legalized gambling, it becomes all that much more important because you don't want people truly thinking the NFL is scripted. We can all joke about it. They can lean into it. Roger Goodell did even address it in his state of the league, uh, the NFL being scripted. It's become a joke, right? But that's what you want it to stay. You want it to stay a joke because the second people actually think these games are being thrown, you have a big problem on your hands. Coming up next, we're going to continue to unpack some of the things that Roger Goodell said in his State of the League address. Plus, a Super Bowl suite costs how much? ESPN Radio is also available on the ESPN app. Ten seconds on the clock. How many things can you name that are always growing? Your relationships. Your skills. Your customer base. How about businesses on Shopify? (laughs) Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the Launch Your Online Shop stage, to the First Real Life Store stage, all the way to the Did We Just Hit a Million Orders stage, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash network, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash network now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash network. Music Monday here on Amber and Ian. Amber and Ian presented by Progressive. So what does that mean? That means that our associate producer, Rachel Robinson, she always has a theme in the show through the music. And we're supposed to be paying attention, which Ian and I always fail to do. 
and we're hopelessly terrible at this game. And then we're supposed to, at the end of the show, figure out what the theme was based on the songs that she played going into every segment of the show. So our first order of business is have Rachel recap all the songs that she played because goodness knows Ian and I have not been smart enough to rate them down. So go ahead, Rachel. All right. So we started off tonight with Usher and Little John. Yeah. Then we went with some Kenny Chesney, When the Sun Goes Down. Britney Spears, Toxic. A little JoJo. Super Bowl halftime shows. No. Damn. Nope. That was last week, Ian. Oh, never mind. Sorry. JoJo, leave. You're a week behind, man. (laughs) But he got it. He still got it from last week, so I'll give it to him, I guess. Dashboard Confessional, Vindicated. That was James's pick. Linkin Park. Oh, that doesn't count. Outcast, hey yeah. Kelly Clarkson, since you've been gone. Stop stop using your Pennsylvania accent. You guys, I'm sorry. Bowling for Soup, 1985, and Killers, Mr. Brightside. I got nothing. Oh my God. And I've, had, I've gotten the last two, and then I got nothing. What does Little John and the Killers have in common? <laughs> my Thank- goodness. What do you got, Rachel? What is it? I mean, you had me with the first like five songs you named or whatever it was. I'm like, man, this is a fire playlist. And then you went off the rails with, I mean, you just said abandon a song that I don't even think I've ever heard of, by the way, in that mix. So uh, I think oh, it's probably nothing. the one James picked. I'm assuming. Yeah, that one. That, that one threw you me off heard too. Of Dashboard Confessional. Get out of here. Not really. Certainly would not know the song. You What's absolutely what, have heard what that song. You're what crazy. is the theme? What's the theme, Rachel? So the theme today is songs that turn 20 in 2024. Oh, oh come on. That is so deep. Wow. Good Lord. Uh, I, Zero I, I, Dashboard said. Confessional was around 20 years ago? Holy See, Lord. You know they are. No, I don't. That was, that, I was the, that was the big song off of the Spider-Man 2 soundtrack. That was like, that was like Hembo's question uh, like two weeks ago. Name the the player who like went to so many uh, you know playoff games and never won a Super Bowl. Whatever it was, it was like Gene Upshaw. He was a guard. Oh, I mean, loves, he was a guard. I mean, he, come loves on. Those. he loves like, those. He loves those. the worst. That's I just awful. figured that Amber might question. have been bumping some of those in her purple car in high school or something. So. Oh, I definitely was. It, namely, the the first few. Namely, uh, the Usher Little John. I mean, that was up my jam. Although I will say, twenty years ago. Uh, that was like college for Amber now at this point. <laughs> 22 years ago, we could talk about What, do you have school. a confessional you need to make here all of a sudden? No, I'm saying I was in college. <laughs> 20 years ago, I was in college. So 20 years ago, I was actually rocking my uh, <laughs> Nissan Maxima in college. I had upgraded from the oh, Purple yeah, People Leader. So you had the purple... upgraded the car. The, the well, no, it's Nissan the Mazda. Car. Okay, excuse you. The Mazda Purple People Leader that my brother famously gave me when I turned 16 then got totaled by a dump truck. So there you go. When I was a, when I was in high school. So then I rocked my That's mom's minivan for a little bit. Then I got a Nissan Maxima. Right there. Right there. Uh, did we not no sue job. waste management. You're welcome, waste management. It's one of the big regrets in my life. All right. Let's <laughs> talk about Roger Goodell. Because Roger Goodell had his state of the league address. And we unpacked some of the things that he said. He also had some fun with this thing, though. He did recognize that Taylor Swift is effectively part of his league now because she's such a big story in the NFL. Here is the commissioner of the NFL on the Taylor Swift effect. Having the Taylor Swift effect is also a positive. Listen, they're both Travis and Taylor are wonderful young people. They seem very happy. She knows great entertainment, and I think that's why she loves NFL football. But 
I think it's great to have um, have her a part of it. Uh, obviously, it, it creates a buzz. It creates uh, a, another group of young fans, particularly young women, that um, are interested in seeing why is she going to this game? Why is she interested in this game? Besides Travis, she is a football fan, and I think that's great for us. It is great. It is great for the future of the NFL. If I'm the NFL commissioner, I'm very excited to have Taylor Swift as part of my world in any capacity because the reality is she is bringing more eyeballs to your sport and she's bringing more eyeballs in a demographic that the NFL can't otherwise tap into very easily. You know, I mean, obviously the NFL football had me hooked as a young girl, but it was unusual. In fact, one of my very, very best friends in the whole world, the whole reason we met is because when we were in middle school, she had tickets to a Gators game and she wanted to bring a friend and she couldn't find any girl, you know, it's we're in sixth grade. She couldn't find any other 12 year old girl who wanted to go to a Gators football game with her. And somebody had told her, That Amber Wilson likes football and her and I did not know each other whatsoever. She was new to my school and, but she had heard it through the grapevine that I liked football, that my family were big Gators and she just randomly got in touch with me. Hey, do you want to go to this football game? And I'm like, sure, let's do it. And her and I are still, you know, our daughters, my goddaughters, and I was in her wedding. The rest is history. So that's, that's how some of those relationships are formed. But it was that hard when I was in middle school, it was that unusual to find other girls who grew up in a football world well today that's a very different story in middle school because of taylor swift and that's who you need you need those those young women those young girls because they're going to be with your sport forever then there was a taylor swift moment at the grammys last night where i thought of the nfl and i wasn't watching the grammys my youngest daughter Marion is a huge luke combs fan so she showed me this morning as i'm making a lunch just to go to school Dad, did you see the mashup between Tracy hold Chapman on, hold on, and hold on, hold on, hold on. you make your eighteen-year-old daughter's lunches to go to school? Eighteen and fifteen, yeah. Oh yeah. Fifteen and eighteen, not five yeah. and eight. No, no. Fifteen and eighteen. Yep. Yep. They still have daddy yep. Yep. make their Daddy's lunch girls. in the morning. Yep. Yep. They're responsible for their own breakfast. Unless it's the weekend. These girls are living. I'm telling you, (laughs) Ian Fitzsimmons, the more I find out about your relationship with your daughters. Smoked ham and cheese for man this morning, PB&J for Rowan. There you go. I hope you are ready for these girls to be with you for a very long time because there is no man on planet Earth that is going to live up to pops in the future. I'm just putting that out there. (laughs) Thanks. But anyway, (laughs) she said, so I went, I I did not, I I didn't even know the Grammys were last night. And I went and watched this mashup, which by the way, I've watched it a dozen times today. I get chills every time. It is unbelievable. But there's one cutaway, again, to Taylor Swift. And she's standing up, singing every lyric, and the first thing that came to mind was another Taylor Swift cutaway, which I don't mind during the games. I don't mind the cutaways to Eminem. Why would I mind the cutaways to Taylor Swift, right? But but my mind did go to, uh, here we go, I got a Taylor Swift cutaway. And then, as she was the only one standing at the time, my mind then went, would it not be hilarious if somebody all of a sudden, in the middle of that this unbelievable mashup between Luke Combs and Tracy Chapman singing Fast Car, if somebody screamed, hey, down in front! Sit down. I do think Take a seat, is, damn it! I think she's really tall, too, isn't she? <laughs> oh, yeah. So hey, it would be hard but to it, see. As the song went on, she wasn't the only one standing. It was. If you haven't seen it, go watch it. But there was a Taylor Swift moment at the Oscar, uh, at the Grammys last night that did make me think of Taylor Swift, NFL fan. Taylor Cut Swift away. is 5'11". 
So my daughter's five eleven. She'd be she'd be blocking some, and 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 you spoiled. still make lunch for her. She is spoiled. <laughs> I think I got like a cold bagel on the way to high school. 